Welcome, folks, to episode eight of the Ankle Breaker podcast. Today, I've got a new guest with me. I got Jack Borman, the editor-in-chief of Candace Hoobis. He covers the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx. Jack, did I miss anything? How are we feeling today? No, no, you, you nailed it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you having me. Oh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. It, it, it's uh, great to have you here. I guess the first thing that I want to kind of start off talking about is, I mean, Right now in the off season, obviously we got the FIBA World Cup going on, but there's usually not a whole lot of NBA drama going on. Now we do still have the James Harden and Damian Lillard sagas ongoing, and James Harden's a guy that we've had a little bit more news about lately. And it's not just about how the Sixers have said that they're no longer taking calls about Harden. It's about the fact that, I mean, not only did he allude to the fact that he is leaning towards just you know sitting out the season and withholding from practice from from games but i mean he went to china last week and he said and he called daryl Morey a liar saying that he'd never play for an organization that Morey's a part of again he even alluded to the fact that you know he he loves playing in china and thinks that you know maybe chinese audiences deserve to see him play more than american audiences do what do you think that uh the odds are that he actually does follow through with you know not showing up to to camp preseason and stuff i think they're really high you know, I don't think that it's a it's a coincidence that that Harden chose to um, say what he said about Daryl Morey uh, in China, a place that that Morey certainly has has not held back comments about in the past. And you know, I think Harden's got plenty of money and plenty of security. And I think you know Morey was able to to hold out and do what he did because he he didn't have another season wasted with Embiid, but. Yeah, they've got nothing besides James Harden when it comes to, to Philadelphia. I think if Embiid's looking around and he sees I've, I have Tobias Harris and I have Tyrese Maxey, that, that's nothing to me uh, compared to what some of these other stars in the league have. And I think that Maury knows that he can't he can't wait around with Harden because Harden threw him a bone last summer and took a huge pay cut so that Maury could go out and try to sign guys. And, um, and that obviously didn't work. And... There's a very clear implication from Harden here that that Maury must have promised him a max contract or something damn damn near close to it, and that obviously did not come this summer. And so I, I don't fault Harden for one minute for what he's doing. Um, and and I'd be I'd be shocked to see if 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 Harden shows up to Sixers camp because because Daryl Morey has a lot more to lose than than James Harden does at this point. One of the rumors that I've kind of heard is that. He signed with the expectation that he was going to be given the opportunity to seek out a trade. So kind of a sort of sign and trade deal where Philadelphia doesn't, you know, they get something for him and, and he still gets to kind of hang on to a little bit more money by opting into that con opting into that contract. Do you think that that's something that's realistic? And if it is, to what extent does that kind of shape the way that you think player negotiations need to go? going forward in terms of this, you know, side and trade stuff, because sign sign and trades have been something that I feel like has been increasingly, increasingly more common over the last several years. Yeah. I mean, this one wouldn't be a sign and trade just because he, he opted into his contract. So he's already signed that. Um, and, and if he didn't opt into his contract that he would have been an outright free agent, unrestricted free agent. And then he could have, you know, gone the sign and trade route with, uh, with any team on the market. Um, but I mean, it makes sense to me that, that all these deals now are, are becoming sign-and-trade deals because creating cap space is something that is just be, is 
much uh, less frequent than it has been in, in years past. Um, I mean, you look at a situation like Kevin Durant, you look at a situation like Jimmy Butler in recent years with, with their player movement has, has been via sign and trade. Just a lot of the big transactions that you're seeing nowadays are, are sign and trade so that the team that's losing that big star can get something back in return. And also too, so that it's easier for the team that he's going, that the player's going to, to be able to clear cap space to make it work. And so, yeah, I mean, just with Harden, I, I certainly think that him opting in was the only way for him to be able to facilitate a trade to, to a destination. If it's not of his choosing, it's one of his liking at the very least. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all that, that that happened. And that was really the only way for him to be able to make a trade happen. So, so it makes sense to me that, that he was, he was opting into that deal. And it's one of those things I'm looking at the way that the Sixers seems looking right now and the way that they've kind of underperformed the last years. If they go into camp this year, and Harden doesn't show up if they're kind of left shorthanded throughout the season, or they're ended up forcing kind of take a worse deal, like the way that it seems like the Blazers are going to be forced to take a worse deal with Dame. I could very much see guys like Joel Embiid becoming disgruntled and wanting out in the near future. I mean, Embiid's a guy that's been in the at the top of the MVP conversation for the last several years, won it this year, and he still hasn't made it past the second round. I mean, that's something that I can really see building some frustration in the near future. Do you think that if Harden doesn't show up that we could see an Embiid trade request, if not this season, you know, in the near future after that? I would be shocked if Joel Embiid did not request a trade within the next calendar year. You know, there, I mean, there's just time has run its course in Philadelphia. I mean, and he would have to sit through a major rebuild with with Tobias Harris's money coming off the books with, with Maxi, you know, you know, getting a year older, hopefully getting a year better. But beyond that, they don't have a whole lot there in terms of young talent that's coming up and in terms of, you know, selling points to, to potential free agents or to potential trade targets like, Hey, come play with Embiid. And people would look around and say, why would I want to play with Embiid? He's never made it out of the second round. And I think he's only made it to the second round two or three times. And it's just like, there's not a whole lot there. And I think, with heart with Maury too like Maury isn't the selling point that he once was in Houston and I think if you're Embiid now just is like the perfect time I mean you you've had a couple different running mates now you had Simmons now you have I mean they brought in Tobias Harris Tobias Harris was a legit star at the time that he signed that max contract you also had Jimmy Butler and now you have James Harden you burned through three and a half stars now in one location, I just don't know how many co-stars you're going to be able to burn through without trying to trying to seek out a new situation. And I think that, you know, the, the Knicks are, are certainly a team that, that I would watch there just because you look at how much ammo they have, what they've been holding out for. And, and you think about the fact that, that Leon Rose was, was Joel Embiid's agent before he left to, to join the New York Knicks at CAA. You know, there's there's certainly plenty of connections there, and, and everybody knows how much Joel Embiid loves loves the spotlight and, and, and has been on the record saying that he loves playing in New York. So so that's certainly uh, certainly something that I'd keep an eye on there. In terms of him going to the Knicks, I mean, it feels like that's a team that if he was to go there, I mean, like you said, they're a team that's loaded with, you know, young assets, and, and they have most of their future picks. I know that they gave up a few seconds when they got rid of Obi, but other than that, I mean... I feel like that could launch them from being kind of a fringe team that's, you know, maybe just above play-in caliber 5-6 seed this year to being a team that should be a real contender with if you get, say, Julius Randle playing at a high level and the way that Jalen Brunson's been playing, I mean, I, I for one, am stunned that he's been more than worth the money. I mean, I, I feel like 
I, I was someone that said when he signed that massive deal, yeah, no, the Knicks overpaid for a guy that's a sixth man. He looked like a real star. He got snubbed from the All-Star game last year. What do you think that the Knicks' ceiling if, is if they can get a core that's Randall, Brunson, and Embiid in that team? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to know whether or not Randall would be involved in that deal. If I was the Knicks, I would surely try to include him in that deal because I don't think that Julius Randall is is the type of guy that can can play alongside another really high usage front court player. But I mean, if that was the core, I, I just don't think the ceiling is that high. Frankly, I, I think that I, I think it's higher than what it currently is, but I don't think it's going to be all that much higher than what he's had in Philadelphia, to be quite honest with you. I think that, you know, if you're able to trade RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly and, and hold on to, you know, really key role guys like like Quentin Grimes and, and Josh Hart then then maybe then maybe you're seeing a team with with a higher ceiling but yeah I mean it's it's tough to tough to know that right now um, I, th- I think they'd certainly be trying to trade Randall in that situation and if you're able to trade Randall and hold on to to RJ Barrett and just trade you know filler and, and a bunch of first round picks I certainly think that that you know a team that has you know Brunson and Grimes and and uh and RJ Barrett and and quickly potentially as well um and josh hart as well like you're looking at a team that now is really well-rounded can can play a lot of different ways can do a lot of different things on both ends of the ball you know and who knows maybe maybe you're able to keep mitchell robinson and and have him as a backup backup five a a really really high-end backup five to have two really really good rim protectors and Embiid and robinson and then you're looking at at a team that's going to be a really really good defensive team no matter who's on the floor and and i certainly think that that would move the needle i think i think for the knicks it's just about who you're giving up um and I, and I think that Randall certainly would be the first guy that they'd try to send out in that deal. But but who knows what, what Philadelphia would do there. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to lot to figure out. You know, there's a high percentage chance that that would be a three-team deal but or a four-team deal even. But, but who knows? I just would be absolutely shocked if, if the Sixers if the Sixers' hand wasn't forced in trading James Harden and then if Embiid subsequently did not request a trade either soon after or within a year after. Yeah, no, I I definitely hear what you're saying, but I guess now let's make a kind of abrupt pivot back over here to Minnesota. The Timberwolves are a team that I feel like in the past they've kind of had some I don't want to say controversies, but their 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 city edition uniforms have been kind of polarizing over the last few years. I mean, last year there was the kind of minimalist white with the you know few primary colors on. A year before that there was the highlighter uniforms that looked like those Seahawks uh, atrocities from. 2018 or so i mean you take a look at this year's city editions i mean unveiled on lake minnetonka land of 10,000 lakes and they did a really great job of paying tribute to that with these kind of photographic type pattern i mean i know it's not a photo but it it has that same kind of quality as those 2018 magic city edition uniforms that had kind of the photo of the stars and the galaxy on them people really didn't give those the credit they deserve. But back to these ones, I mean, I thought the way that the white looked clean with the fading into the lake water, I I really liked these ones. How do you feel about this year's uniforms and how they kind of compare to like, you know, the last few years of Timberwolves uniforms? Yeah, I was at I was at the the reveal party that they had uh, on Sunday at Lake Minnetonka here in in Minnesota. And, you know, they've, they've certainly put a lot of thought into it. And they certainly want to, you know, be able to reflect the unique, uh, you know, lake-like, lake-like aspects of, of what 
Minnesota has to offer. I certainly think that it's, you know, it's a really solid single double. I don't think they hit a home run with it. I think, you know, the the Prince the Prince jerseys that they had here were incredible. Mrs. City edition jersey. I I think that 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 blue kind of remix of the the original tree jerseys that they had here were was was awesome for that uh, first year that they were back in the playoffs. I, I, I honestly think that the minimalist, you know, Bob Dylan inspired jersey that they had last year wasn't even bad. I just didn't think it was like anything special. So I, I'd certainly say it, it's a it's a solid, you know, number three for me behind behind the Prince jersey would be number one. And then that and then that that you know jersey that they had a couple of years ago when they made the playoffs and, and lost to the Grizzlies in the first round, that, that blue inspired, you know, kind of trees around the waist jersey certainly is is up there for me my i think it's pretty comparable to to what they had three seasons ago when they had the the light blue msp city edition jersey but yeah i mean i don't think it's anything anything special i think it's it's you know it's a nice clean jersey um it's not gonna you know blow anybody's socks off but certainly um certainly a a, a decent fine looking jersey I'll admit, I, I forgot all about those Prince jerseys. I think that you're absolutely right. Those have to be number one if you're ranking Tim Wolves uniforms. I mean, not only are they, they're they're nice to look at, but beyond that, they're just really representative of the city's identity as a whole. So, yeah, you're absolutely right there. Those number one, I think I'd still put the new ones at number two. I mean, when you're talking about within the Tim Wolves uniforms, I, I, it's, it's number two for me. I think even within the broader picture of city editions, Bar for City Edition uniforms isn't that high. A lot of them are kind of straight-up misses. I mean, you look at the Celtics ones a lot of these last few years, it just looks like a goofy leprechaun costume that you'd get from Party City or something like that. But I think that they did a good job with these ones. Maybe it's not the best uniform in the league, but I really liked them. I think that they're still just behind the Prince ones. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the kind of jersey release party that you were just saying that you were at. I mean, I know that most teams... It, these days, they're just kind of making, you know, a quick little social post. It seems like they put a lot more effort into it this year than last year with, you know, not just having a event for it, but, you know, booking Young Gravy to unleash it with a, uh, you know, coming up on stage with the robe on. And then what was kind of the environment there like and what was kind of your experience watching that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I'd, I'd been kind of been dropped some hints, you know, soon after I arrived there just based on the location that, um, that the players would be arriving on a boat. And we all thought that that meant that the players would uh, be wearing the jerseys or be wearing, you know, uh, jumpsuits or something that, that they could have on over the jersey. And then they would be the ones to reveal them when they got up on stage. But but that was not the case. It was pretty immediately clear when you saw the boat roll in that, that they didn't have the jerseys on even underneath what they were wearing. And so, yeah, then from there, it was pretty clear to me that they were going to reveal it with Young Gravy. And, and when you saw Young Gravy kind of work his way through the crowd with the robe on, you could kind of tell that that's where things were going. You know, I, I don't really think that people in Minnesota like claim Young Gravy as like, a, oh, look at this guy. Let's celebrate Minnesota's own. So I, I thought that that was really weird and not really enticing to anybody that was there at all, considering that, you know, a lot of the other people that were there were season ticket holders and, and pretty prominent season ticket holders at that who frankly don't really care about young gravy and weren't really into the 10 15 minute performance that he gave after unveiling the jersey and it was just really awkward frankly while they were there i mean it was a it was a fun time i really enjoyed being there and you know getting to 
getting to say what, what what's up to, to Mike and Nas and, and some other people in the Wolves organization that, that I'm friendly with and in the Lynx organization as well who had who had members there. But yeah, I mean, I, the thought of it was cool. I think, you know, the, the pictures of Nas and, and Mike on social media coming in on a boat were obviously cool. They, they did a good job of trying to take care of their season ticket holders and, and other members of the media and people that work for both of the both sides of the house. But yeah, I just thought it was odd. But then again, like that really only matters to, to the people that were there in person. And that's such a small number of people. And I mean, I thought they did a really good job rolling everything out on social media. So that's a big hat tip to the to the Fantastic Wolves and, and Link's social media team. And yeah, I mean, I, I think fans probably are, are over the young gravy thing, to be honest, by now. It's just like what they think of the jerseys. And, and I thought that, that rolling it out with Mike and Nas was, was a fantastic decision just because those are those are two players outside of outside of Anthony Edwards that have the unequivocally have the highest approval ratings of any any players on the Timberwolves team. So I thought that that was that was pretty smart. In terms of I mean, you said that people in Minnesota don't claim young gravy like you know, someone in New York would claim Jay-Z. Is there someone in the Minnesota scene nowadays that Minnesota does claim like that? I feel like, you know, with Prince gone now, I mean, RIP, is there that, is there someone that you would consider to be that guy if they could get ideal world, they can get anyone that all that they want? No, frankly, I, I don't. You know, I, I think that, I mean, nobody that they would have actually gotten to come to this thing and, and do it and it would have made sense. So like, I understand the young gravy thing from that perspective but at the same time everybody was like oh young gravy's from minnesota like that's really weird um but you know i mean it's it, it's all about the getting the tiktok views nowadays i mean he's huge on tiktok i think is what the thing is but i mean other than that it doesn't really make that much sense i kind of want to pivot a little bit towards i mean you were saying that you had a little conversation with mike nas do you do you have any kind of feeling of what the team overall feels about the jerseys, how they're feeling about kind of the new look so far. Yeah, Mike and Nas both uh, both said publicly and in, in a little snippet to to everybody at the event that they were they were big fans of the jerseys. You know, Mike said that, that the collection of jerseys that the Timberwolves have for this upcoming season is is going to be his favorite of of all the years he's been playing in the league. And and Nas said he 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 loves the jerseys. They're his favorite city edition jersey since he came into the league. And that you know he's really looking forward to to getting a lot of wins in the jersey. So I think that whether those guys actually believe those comments or not, you know I I, I you know it was it was pretty clear that that they're that they were excited about this upcoming season for sure. And and obviously just like having new jerseys is just a, an excuse to talk about that. So well, and I guess now on that note, let's kind of pivot a little bit towards uh towards World Cup stuff. And before we get going on that, I'm going to ask you a little trivia question. See if you remember anything from the last World Cup. So in 2019, Rudy Gobert was second in the World Cup in block. He had 15 blocks. Who do you think was first in that World Cup? Oh man, um, um. World Cup always ends up being like weird, random guys just end up balling out for no reason. I remember Evan Fournier just destroying Team USA one on one. I mean, it's crazy how these things go sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You'd have to think that it would probably be someone from from Spain, but um, I don't. So I don't know. I can't remember if if like Pau Gasol had played for that Spain team, um, or if it would be like a an Hernan Gomez brother. Yeah, so I don't know. I'd I'd probably I'd probably I mean Jonas Valanciunas I know played for that team. I don't know. I'd I'd probably. 
I'd probably throw out a little bit of a guess and just say, I don't know, Willie Ernan Gomez. Yeah, and I was, I, I was shocked by this too. Rudy Gobert did that in eight games played. Salah Mejri, former Dallas Maverick, had 16 in just five games in that last World Cup. So, wow. More you know, you know. Never would have guessed. <laughs> Neither would I. Neither would I. I just was looking at, you know, those stats from the last World, World Cup and I was thinking, huh, you know, I, it, it is something that were, you know, for most teams outside of how, I mean, for most of the Team USA, you don't see the stars playing. And even this year, you see Giannis said recently that he's dropping out of the World Cup. And even for Team Latvia, I mean, Kristaps is, you know, endowed for them as well. When you look at, let's take a look at, uh, I guess, Giannis saying that he's out now. I mean, because Greece is in Team USA's group for the first for the original group round. Do you think that that kind of makes any difference in how Team USA fares? I mean, outside of Greece, the the group that Team USA is in, it's it's USA, it's Greece, it's Jordan, and it's New Zealand. Yeah, no, I don't think any any of those teams will give the United States any any problems at all. I think that the United States will honestly have a, a pretty easy path to, to winning the, the world cup you know i I, th- I think there's definitely some formidable teams out there and we can get into to which ones i i think have a you know legitimate chance of, of of giving them trouble but this usa team is just built with with players that are way too talented and way too way too hungry and competitive i, I don't think that, that the 2019 team was was hungry and competitive and had enough guys with fiery personalities and just had some shit to them for for lack of a better way of saying it that that really care and and want to play hard and and get it and and can play a ton of different ways i, I think if you go look at the, the bigs that that were on that team just didn't have bigs that that really instill fear in anybody and and i think that this team has that and this team is extremely versatile on the perimeter with how they can the, how they can defend i mean you saw in a warm-up game uh halliburton had i believe 12 assists in a game and in the same game brunson had 12 rebounds uh, which is incredible for a guard spot and and you've seen all these guys play extremely selfless basketball that uh, every guy's making the the extra pass, the extra effort defensively. You saw against Puerto Rico, they really just ratcheted up the defense um, on the perimeter, caused a whole lot of turnovers that they turned into points. So yeah, I, I really don't think anybody has a great chance of being able to take down this USA team, but um, but certainly I think there's some interesting teams throughout throughout the rest of the bracket for sure. Yeah, I mean when you look at last year's or last World Cup's roster, I mean, it felt like that it had more star power on it at the very least. I mean, it wasn't, you know, obviously we weren't getting LeBron James or Steph Curry, but I mean, at the very least, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown on that roster, like you had some guys, even Brooke Lopez is a guy that, I mean, he, he finished in top three in defensive play of the year voting this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I would say that, that Anthony Edwards is, is a bigger star than what Jason Tatum is was four years ago. I'd say that Tyrese Halliburton is a bigger star than what Donovan Mitchell was. Jalen Brunson's a bigger star than what that Jalen Brown was. I, I think and Brandon, they have Brandon Ingram on this team. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I don't I don't know that that I buy that necessarily. I think that they kind of messed around with putting last year's roster together with a bunch of guys that they, you know, they kind of cobbled together at the last minute. And, and I think that they, they certainly didn't do that. I think they were pretty intentional about the teams that they were, the team that they were trying to put together this time around. I mean, and you just think of, you know, a rim protector like, like Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and then, 
you know, being able to put a, a really aggressive scoring five like Paolo Bancaro while while having just really awesome complementary guards and in Reeves and Hart and and then you have two perfect role players on the wing and, and Bridges and Cam Johnson like I, I this team is just so much better than what the team was in 2019 and I think everybody got embarrassed and and Spain kicked their ass and you know I credit to Spain for for waking everybody up that the United States can't just you know screw around and, and put a bunch of guys out there that are second rate guys that don't care enough and and this team really cares and that's what's been evident in the first three games and I think it's a lot different than than 2019 for sure yeah no and I I agree with you on that I mean you talked about this team really cares and I think one of the ways that I kind of most noticed that was when you watched the fourth quarter of, of that last game against Spain and it's weird to see that USA isn't number one ranked in any in any game I mean Spain They've obviously been good. They beat us last time around, but it's it, it's not often that you see USA go into a game as an underdog or even trail in the fourth quarter the, the way that they did in that game. But the thing that I noticed most was kind of the way that Anthony Edwards kind of just really locked in defensively. I mean, it's not that he's a guy that's a bad defensive player by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not something that he's particularly known for, especially compared to his offensive abilities. But I feel like that really showed in that game. Do you think that... uh? How much of a role do you think that kind of the defensive side of the ball is going to play in this team's success? Because I feel like that's kind of the side that you see this uh, these national teams kind of slack off on for Team USA a lot in, in, in these stages. I think it's going to be everything because this team has a bunch of players that are really, really good in transition, whether it's Halliburton, Edwards, Ingram, Bridges, Bancaro even, and Brunson, all guys that are just awesome. Josh Hart, guys that are awesome in transition. And and the best way you're going to be able to get out in transition is turning defense into offense. And and this team is is going to get all of its energy from the defensive end. And then you have a you have one of the best rim protectors on the planet, Jaron Jackson Jr., certainly the the second best rim protector in the tournament behind Rudy Gobert. And then Walker Kessler is no slouch even either if they play him and, and you can play Bobby Portis at the 5, who's an excellent defender. It's going to be every thing for this team i think you know with edwards and excuse me with edwards and bridges on the on the wing those are two nightmarishly good perimeter defenders when they lock in on the ball um and that's the thing with edwards it's never been that he hasn't been good at it it's just that that he's got to lock in and when he locks in on the ball defensively he's one of the best defensive players in in the league and i'm not just saying that because i cover the timberwolves or, or i like the guy i like the player it's just true. I mean, the, the film backs that up that when the going gets tough and, and shit starts to hit the fan that, that Anthony Edwards really turns up his competitive level uh, on that end of the floor. And, uh, and and we've certainly seen it so far in these uh, these exhibition games. And we know when you can combine that, and then you get Brandon Ingram, someone with his you know physical tools, locked in, playing defense. Um, Cam Johnson's no slouch either. I mean, it's it's, it's a really fun team to watch, and, and people obviously think offense when they see Anthony Edwards and Brandon Ingram and, and Mikhail Bridges and Paolo Bancaro, but but this team is, is the best defensive team in the tournament um, when, when they all really lock in, and, and, and they've certainly seemed to, to buy into that in these, these first three games. I do think that when you look at this team's weaknesses, the one thing that I would be concerned about is if, like I know what before last Olympics there was some talk about Maybe Joel Embiid will try to play with Team France instead of Team Cameroon, for example. And he will. He'll he'll be on Team France next year. I, I, from from what I've heard, I'd I'd be surprised if he wasn't at least at this point. If he was on Team France this year, 
I France is a team that would. I mean, they 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 beat us last time around. They're a team that does kind of you know, scare me a little bit just because of the fact that we're a team. That, I mean, like you said, Team USA, they've got a ton of great rim protectors on this roster. It's super deep with rim protectors, but it doesn't have a true center on the team. Like, I think that if Joel Embiid got Jaron Jackson in the post, it's not that I don't think Jaron Jackson can do anything against him, but I do think Joel Embiid could give him 35 if, he, if, if you know, just because he's so much bigger than him. He's got how many inches in height on him does he have? Four inches, maybe? I mean, on who? I'm sorry. On Jaron Jackson. Uh two, two and a half, three. Yeah, I mean, I don't Jaren know. Jaron Jackson's think, a big dude. I, I I still think that like you know three inches or so it makes a difference anyway. I I I think sure. that I think that Team USA is fortunate that there's not none of the real skilled big men are on teams that have much depth this time around. Like for for sure, but but also you have to keep in mind that this is a FIBA World Cup. This isn't the Olympics, and when, and when the Olympics rolls around next season, um, you you bet that Grant Hill and, and the guys at USA Basketball are going to have their pick with with who they have. I mean, you had Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant as your starting one, two, and three in the Olympics uh, two two years ago, and, and you you'd better believe that the United States knows that that France is going to have Wenbenyama playing the three. And, and Embiid playing the four ne- next summer in Paris. So, so that team will be built with with all that in mind. There's there's no question about it. it it's just, you know, interesting that that you look at the two of the best centers in the in the league, and and then a third one in Carl Anthony Towns too. You know, if it was an Olympic year, you know, aren't Americans and wouldn't or if they aren't for, in Carl's case certainly is an American, but but has made it clear that that uh, his mother's Dominican heritage really means something to him, and he wants to represent. The Dominican Republic, and, and and all the credit in the world for for Carl for doing that. Um, and then you you go down the line and you you see guys like, you know, Bam Adebayo and and Jaron Jackson, um, who I think you know very well could could play center. And then then you start getting down below that, and you can you can start thinking about anybody after that really um because then it's just kind of a wide open conversation like miles turner played four years ago in that in that feeble world cup so yeah so there, there's going to be some some le- some legitimate conversations that had to be have uh, that had to be excuse me that will have to have be had ab- about that because it's a legit concern no question about it but um in this tournament they don't really have that concern and, and i certainly think that, that while there's there's plenty of other teams out there that i think are going to be really good i think that the canada is going to be really good this is the best team that canada's ever had in an international competition <laughs> Hi folks, just a quick little addendum that I wanted to add in there. So Jack and I recorded this episode on Monday at the time Jamal Murray had been playing for the Canadian FIBA World Cup team. Since then he has withdrawn, which does make a huge difference in the expectations for this team. I mean, obviously they've still got some great players like Shea Gilchius-Alexander, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, RJ Barrett, Dylan Brooks, but Jamal Murray is likely the number two scorer on that team behind Shea, so taking him out does make a huge difference. They're still a dangerous team that can make some upsets, but I mean, I personally wouldn't keep them in that same upper echelon of contenders like France, USA, and Spain anymore without Jamal Murray. Back to the episode. (laughs) 
Uh, I also think that this is the best team that Australia has ever had. Australia has 10 NBA players on their roster. That's the most they've ever had. And, and uh, a team like Germany, too, ha- has really, really good players. When you look at Franz Wagner and, and Dennis Schroeder, um, two really guys that have been really good in international competitions. Um, and then Lowry Markkinen, too, on Finland. Um, that Finnish team really opened some eyes at the Eurobasket last year. I want to say they got either to the quarterfinals or, uh, yeah, the quarterfinals, I believe. No, and that was the leap. That was what Markkinen used as a leap to, to become an all-NBA caliber player uh, for the Jazz last season, which was really incredible. And then Slovenia has a lot of veterans on that team alongside Luka that have played together for a long time. And then and then we, we talk about France as well. I mean, that that kind of you know kind of group of seven that they have between Gobert, Fournier, Batum, Decolo, Nilakina, um, Akobo, um, and, and French Draymond and, and Yabuselli. Now, that's a really, really good team. And, and and if the United States does not show up to play, that those are those are teams that can that can beat the United States. So and, and then you also talk about Spain. I think not having Ricky Rubio really hurts. Um, but but to be honest with you, I would put France, Canada and, and for sure, Australia above that that Spain that Spanish team, um, just because you know, Ricky Rubio has been the guy there for for a long time, and and obviously hope that uh, that he's recovering and and doing what's best for him with the mental health uh, issues that he's cited as a reason for why he is is taking a step back from from that team. But yeah, I think I think for me the the two biggest competitors are 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 uh, France and, and Canada respectively. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, who ends up being there when the United States comes out. I do think it's funny that you said uh, French Draymond describing Guerchon Yabusele. I, I, I had never heard someone use that nickname before, but. Yeah, that's 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 a that's kind of a funny, you know, inside inside joke that that another Wolves beat writer and, and I have um, just just from all the, the jokes that, that fly around on Twitter and and how he he's hyped him up in the past seeing Gobert play an international competition. So. De- definitely a joke, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something too that that Celtics fans uh, back in the day when when Yabu was a Celtic and everybody kind of was hyping him that that came up too. So yeah, no, I mean I I, I am from Boston. I definitely remember. You know, it it had value on the defensive end, but the way he'd chuck up three sometime would just drive me nuts. <laughs> but uh, that's besides the point. I guess I kind of want to get back into. I guess uh, I'm looking at this year's World Cup just. Across the board, I don't know the last time I've seen one team have six different guys playing on six different teams in the World Cup. I mean, you obviously got Cat for DR and for USA. You mentioned Nikhil playing for Canada, but then you also got guys like Luka Garza playing for uh, Bosnia. And Kyle Anderson declaring for China was something that, you know, kind of caught me off guard a little bit. It's not something that I really saw coming. Was that something that you kind of had heard about ahead of time? And is that something that you think that, you know, I mean, looking at China's group that they're in right now, it's not a super strong group. I mean, they've got, yeah, they got Serbia, is that Puerto Rico, and South Sudan is China's group right now. Do you see them as being a team that could kind of make a little bit of a run in in, in this tournament this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think that they'll make a run. I mean, it's certainly possible that they could be the second team out of that group. Um, I'd put Puerto Rico ahead of them. With, with them having a lead scorer like Tremont Waters. They have an, a G League player from the Iowa Wolves and Philip Wheeler. I think that team's more talented than, than the Chinese team. You know, it's it's possible that that China could come out, but but I don't see them making a run in, in any capacity. You know, I, I also think that 
you know, we had heard a little bit about, about Kyle Anderson um, potentially coming out uh, and going to play for China. And, and I think that was something that first surfaced maybe in January or February. And, and, and even at the end of the year, it was still very questionable whether or not he was going to do it. But, but in order to play for China, you have to renounce your, your United States citizenship. Um, so that is, that is something that, that he has reportedly done. I, I don't, I can't confirm whether or not that happened, but that's a pretty significant, significant deal. And I believe it was his mother's grandfather, um, or some connection or his mother's grandmother, one of the two who was born in China. And so that's the connection that, that he has there. Um, so, you know, much like, like Carl, um, is honoring his, his mother's side there. Um, but obviously Carl's not giving up his, his United States citizenship to, uh, to play for team China. Well, and I guess you already touched on a little bit who you think other than USA, the teams that kind of maybe could contend for an upset for the world cup, but outside of those three, is there any, are there any other teams that you kind of see maybe making a little bit of a surprise run this year? I mean, I know that I'm I'm with you on the fact that France and Spain are definitely the two big competitors. Like Spain was ranked number one coming into this tournament for a reason. France were the champions last time around for a reason. But are there any other teams that you see as maybe having, you know, the ability to sneak up on, on some people this time around? Yeah, and, I, and I'd definitely put Canada above Spain um, for, for me personally. Oh, sorry. My, I, I, apologies. Yeah, I, I misquoted Yeah, you're good. Um, I, I think... Finland certainly is a team that I would keep an eye on because that was a team. They've got some guards that can shoot. Um, they played really well in Eurobasket last year. And if Markkinen continues to play the way that he played as, as a lead dog, as a lead scorer, that, that's a team that can certainly make some noise. I, I would put Lithuania in that basket if they had Sabonis, but Sabonis isn't going to play. And then, you know, really looking deep, I mean, Italy was a team. That they've got four NBA caliber guys and Nicolo Melis. And then you look at Nico Mannion, uh, Simone Fontecchio, and, and then and then Wolves, uh, Wolves draft pick from, from last summer. Uh, Matteo Spaniolo. That that's a team that I would keep an eye on. But then if you if you want another kind of true sleeper for uh, a team that that could be somewhat decent or better than what people think, a, a team that I would keep an eye on obviously is Serbia. I know that they don't have they don't have Nikola Jokic, which is you know a huge a huge thing. But but they do have Bogdan Bogdanovic. They have a guy named Milos Teodosic, who used to play for the Clippers when he was in the NBA, a, a team that, that was disappointing last year. They, they lost in the round of 16 in Eurobasket, but it was a team who, who has played together for, for a long time. So that's a team I would keep an eye on. And then the other one that I had uh, is a team that I think could, could play better than what people expect is Brazil. So I believe Brazil is 13th coming into this, but but they have a they're led by a guy named Gui Santos, who plays for the Warriors. He's really taken some strides in the G League. They have a guy named Cristiano Felicio, who I believe used to play for the Bulls, um, and Bruno Caboclo, who's bounced around in the NBA. And then most of their other players are, are veterans that have played in Euro League and in Euro Cup competitions in, in Europe for for quite a long time. So that's a team who I think could could kind of make a little bit of a push and, and scare up, scare one of the traditional powers that we've talked about if they don't show up to play the right way. So, and then obviously, you know, you just look at other teams that have had, that have multiple NBA guys in their, their roster. Lithuania has Valanciunas and, and Iggy Brasdakis. And then, and then the Dominican Republic, I believe. So Carl's going to play um, and, and Chris Duarte. I don't know if he's confirmed to be on that roster, but he's been rumored to be a, a guy that's a strong possibility there. So, so yeah, I think we've, we've kind of covered all the teams that, that have, you know, some, some NBA horses that could, could, could make some noise if, if they get out of the, the pool play round. 
glad that you that you brought up Serbia too, just because of the fact that I mean, obviously everyone knows how good Nikola Jokic is, even though he's not playing this time, but. Bogdanovich is a guy that people don't give the credit he deserves. I mean, you look at last year's FIBA World Cup, uh, 2019's FIBA World Cup, rather. Bogdanovich led guys that, you know, played more than five games in scoring. He averaged 23 points a game. Most of anyone that played more than five games in that World Cup. I mean, when you have these teams that have that kind of chemistry built, it's not, I'm stating the obvious here, but it's not just based on star power. And that's kind of what failed USA in the 2004 Olympics is that fact that you know they were looking for just let's get as many home run hitters as we can instead of actually working to build a roster. I definitely agree with you that Serbia is a team that actually is trying to consciously and you know carefully build a roster that you know fills whatever needs they got instead of just going for these are the best guys. And again, they they play together more than the Team USA guys do too. I don't think that they beat Team USA, but I do see them as a team that is real sleeper i think they're the one that if i had to pick one i'm on board with you on that one i will admit though that at least part of that is kind of my own little bit of confirmation bias with Theodosic. i remember when he first came into the league i thought that he was going to be a stud for the clippers every time that i had my build a franchise mode on those nba 2k video games i'd always pick up Theodosic. i've always been biased towards passers guys but i do think that there is some real merit in him being more valuable in kind of the international circuit when you look at, I mean, these are guys that have played together for a long time. So I think that having that kind of passers guy on a team that already has plenty of chemistry can be huge. I mean, you look at the way that Ricky Rubio played in the 2008 World Cup. I mean, that shot him up above Steph Curry in the NBA draft. So, I mean, I think that him and Bogdanovich could really be a deadly duo. And and that's why France is so dangerous, just because this team has played together for such a long time. I mean, they've all been really, really loyal about returning to France in the off season and playing together, whether they're training together or, you know, preparing for actual international competition. It's it's certainly something that's it's admirable and and really cool about about the commitment of the of the players that are on that roster. I mean, you were talking about how the France guys all practice together and stuff like that. One of the things that's been going kind of viral lately is you know, Rudy Gobert hitting jump shot threes in practice over in the FIBA national team things. Is that is that something that you think is something or nothing? And do you think that this is something that we can really see Gobert start pulling out in games for the Timberwolves this upcoming season? Or is this kind of more of just, you know, we'll see how it goes and give it some time to play out kind of the way that we saw the, the Ben Simmons jump shots in practice over the offseason the last two years? Yeah, I certainly, you know, it's like you're innocent until proven guilty. It's nothing until he proves that it's something. You know, while I certainly think that seeing him, you know, become more comfortable shooting threes and seeing the ball go through the net is is obviously something that is uh, a positive, not a negative. Rudy Gobert also doesn't have the, the mental hurdles that Ben Simmons has that have been well documented. And I, I also think this Timberwolves team is going to try to empower Rudy Gobert to improve as much as he can. I mean, we saw that last season with, with him trying to post up a little bit more and him drawing a lot of fouls. Um, you know, there, were, there was certainly an issue with him not really having any post moves beyond just being a very large player that that was able to catch the ball and just try to go up with it. And, and certainly I think Timberwolves fans would, would like to see Rudy Gobert develop more of a post game, a right hook, a left hook, even the, the simple things like that before trying to try his luck with a three. But who knows, maybe trying to shoot a three-pointer is easier for him than, than trying to uh, have that, that touch right around the rim. And if that's the case, then by all means, empower Rudy Gobert to, to shoot threes. I mean, if he's able to 
space out from the short corner to the to the actual corner and, and be able to knock down a three like that's gonna that's gonna give a Carl Anthony Towns a lot more space to drive um, because that was a really important element of his ascent into to superstardom two years ago. And then Anthony Edwards just gives him more you know more space to you know really just attack the rim and and break the will of defenses inside. So I, obviously Rudy Gobert adding any type of offensive skill, whether it's inside, outside, mid range, is going to help this offense tremendously. So certainly nothing at this point, but but hope that it can develop into something somewhat consistent. I mean, even if he shot 30% or high 20s and still was able to make half a three a game and make 40 or 50 of them in a season, that's still a significant development for the Wolves. Yeah, I mean, especially since this is a team that obviously Cat's always been a good three-point shooter his whole career. But I mean, you look at this the development of Nas Reed's deep shot last season with I mean, he didn't come in he didn't come into the league out of LSU as a guy that could shoot like that. And last year he shot, was it mid-30s from from beyond the arc? Something like that. I mean, he, he all of a sudden he's a real threat. If the Timberwolves can develop Gobert like that, I mean, I think that's something that does make them a scary team, sure. you know, scarier than they have been anyway the past few years. When you look at, I mean, you were talking about maybe that's easier for him than developing post moves, who knows. With a guy of his size, I mean, most of his shots are going to be uncontested because most guys that are guarding out on the perimeter just, they don't get the height to block someone that's 7-2. I mean, if you see him, even if he's just, you know, missing them all the time, but he's taking them enough that opposing centers feel a need to come out and guard him. That just opens up a world of possibilities for Anthony Edwards to slash to the rim. Yeah, I mean, I like even if he's making them, I don't think defenses will really respect it at all. I think it's more going to be a situation where, like, it's just another way that the Timberwolves can score points. And I think, too, that, you know, even if, even if it takes defenders another foot, you know, outside on the perimeter, great, but... You know, Rudy Gobert also needs to prove that he can pass the ball while he's on the perimeter more doing more than just a handoff because he hasn't really proven that his entire career either. And so, I mean, it'd be one thing if, you know, you're like a Demonis Sabonis where Sabonis can't shoot threes, but he's an incredible passer even from above the break and can can do a lot of things up there. And that's what can force defenses to come out. But I mean, you saw what the Warriors did to him in the playoffs where they didn't respect him at all on the perimeter. And that was how they turned that series around. So, yeah, I, I certainly think it's nothing until he proves that it's it's something consistent. And I guess kind of one last thing that I kind of want to touch on with you is just kind of this Wolves offseason as a whole. I mean, we got a team that's been in the play-in in consecutive years and haven't really been able to gain the traction to take that next step, even though they do have a core of, you know, good, solid, young talent. I mean, I I really like this Tim Wolves core right now. What do you think that the most impactful move that they've made this offseason is going to be? And what do you think that they kind of need to do looking at the roster that they have set up now to maybe take a leap to make it past the first round this time around? I think the most impre- impactful move they made was signing off on Anthony Edwards going to play for Team USA. Um, to be quite honest with you, I think that um, for him to be able to learn from from guys like Steve Kerr and Eric Spolstra, you know, and Grant Hill even too, and, and getting to play as the lead dog for, for a Team USA team in international competition where he's going to be asked to do a lot of different things. Um, he's really bought into to moving the ball. His playmaking is something that needs to get better. He's, he's shown already a willingness to make the extra pass and make smart reads off the drive. His off-ball defense too has been really, really impressive. We've seen him block jump shots on multiple occasions now and in, in two straight games. You know, that that's... that's that's really something that I think we could see unlock a new 
version of Anthony Edwards, similar to what happened to Kevin Durant. I know, you know, whether it's Tim Bontemps, Brian Windhorst, you know, other Timberwolves writers have, have spoken at length about it. So I, I certainly think that that's been the most important thing. But but if you're looking for for moves in the in the more traditional sense, I think the most valuable one was signing Shake Milton and, and retaining Nikhil Alexander Walker. But but what Shake Milton is going to bring is some really really solid backup point guard play. You know, in all fairness to Jordan McLaughlin, uh, he he suffered a grade two hamster uh, calf strain last year. Um, that sidelined him for, for several months. And so the Timberwolves just didn't really have continuity there. And his game was really predicated on speed and getting into the basket and opening things up by driving the baseline and kicking out to others. And he just didn't have that after the injury. And that's, you know, not his fault. But but certainly if the Timberwolves were looking to upgrade at any one position, that was the one that, that I think made the most sense. And, and Shake Milton has certainly done that. He started a bunch of games. He, he's played as a scorer. He's played as a distributor. He can play on the ball or off the ball. He's a really capable three-point shooter, whether that be off catch and shoot or, or coming off a screen, you know, as a, as a ball handler. So I think that that's going to unlock some things for this Timberwolves team that's going to be really important. And then just from an asset perspective, I think, uh, what they did to get Leonard Miller was really important. I, I think teams don't really understand the, the importance of second round picks when you're this cap strapped. And, and the Timberwolves were able to extract three second round picks from the Jazz when they acquired Mike Conley for D'Angelo Russell, which, I mean, Mike Conley's a better player than D'Angelo Russell is straight up. So that was a win in of itself. And then you get a guy like Nikhil Alexander-Walker who completely erased his cousin Shea Gilgis-Alexander from that play-in game. And then did a remarkable job on on Jamal Murray in that first round playoff series without Jade McDaniels. So I, I think that was one of the sneaky better trades uh, that any NBA team has made in, in recent years. And then they got three second round picks and they used two of them to move up to to, to draft Leonard Miller, who who was really really impressive at summer league. And and even if Leonard Miller doesn't end up being a, a really awesome player, you know he, they're still going to be able to create a value surplus from from the talent that they got where they got him at number 33 is is exactly what you need to do when when you don't have the financial flexibility and the draft capital flexibility to to be able to improve your team and, and so if leonard miller ends up being awesome they could keep him and, and he's a cost controlled rotation player or they can flip him for you know a really profitable return on investment um and that's kind of how you have to play the margin game and it's something that that the Wolves president, Tim Connolly, has been really phenomenal at his entire career. Um, he's never really made an all-in move like the Gobert one. I think that was much more of an ownership play than a, than a Connolly play. I think everything the Timberwolves did this summer was was kind of smart and calculated and uh, isn't going to be something that moves the needle a ton, but certainly isn't going to set them back and certainly, I, I think, creates a higher floor for them this upcoming season, which is really important considering you know the injuries that they sustained last season and how they were were still able to make the playoffs and now this season how if they stay healthy i think they, they've got eyes set on things much higher than, than just making the playoffs um and certainly have the, the firepower to be able to make it out of the first round and, and certainly give a team problems deeper than the deeper than the first round yeah, I, w- I will say I, I do have some disagreements with you on the d'angelo russell take i mean i think that d'angelo russell, he's known as a scorer he doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves for his playmaking ability, but I do think that overall, yeah. you're probably right that Mike Connolly is is the better fit for this Tim Wolves roster because they, I mean, it, it, we were saying earlier they got a lot of young guys. They they didn't really have that veteran leadership. The guy that's you know, I mean, Mike Connolly, he still hasn't gotten a tech in in his entire career. I don't think, that's right? Correct. I mean, that's that type of veteran leadership that that really 
helps guys, you know, not just, you know, develop on in terms of talent, but develop in terms of maturity, knowing how to play the game and not how to how to not make the dumb mistakes like getting teed up at the end of the game. I I remember one time James Harden got teed up twice in the span of the final 30 seconds against the Celtics and they gave the Celtics an easy win. Having a guy that's got that kind of maturity and knows how to handle those late game situations in a mental sense is huge for the Timberwolves. But I do think that D'Angelo Russell, you know, in terms of just pure on the court stuff might be better right now. But I agree with you that Mike Conley is probably a better fit and does do more to help the Timberwolves win as of this moment. Yeah. And I think, too, that, you know, D'Lo's ceiling might be a little bit higher but Mike Conley's floor is significantly higher than D'Lo's. I mean, D'Angelo Russell was getting benched at the end of almost every single playoff game for the Lakers down the stretch of that season. And and D'Lo, look, D'Lo was phenomenal for most of the season. I mean, he was averaging damn near 50-40-90 for, for going on three months before he was traded, but there were far too many games where he just disappeared completely and, and certainly was not worth the contract that, that, that he was being paid at least last season. I think that Mike Conley is a better team defender. He's a better individual defender. I think Mike Conley is a better playmaker than D'Lo, than D'Angelo Russell is. I think he's a better shooter than D'Angelo Russell is. The only thing I think he's better at is mid-range shooting uh, and, and scoring that way. Frankly, as somebody that that is that watched D'Lo for for three and a half years, you know, I, I just I, I think that he is somebody that has a lot of fans and a strong fan legion. And I think is somebody that social media accounts like to hype up whenever he does well, but they, they really don't talk about uh, how frequently he gets benched or how frequently he, you know, is actively destructive to a team's winning uh, or chances of winning. Um, Whereas Mike Conley, even when he's not producing, he's still that really important veteran presence that, every single player in the locker room absolutely adores. And that's really, really important, especially for a team that's undergone as much change as the Timberwolves have. But again, like people are going to, people are going to think what they think and, and we'll see what ends up happening, but it, it'll, it'll be interesting to, to watch for sure. I'll say this. D'Angelo Russell certainly was a better for, fit for the Lakers than Russell Westbrook. So I, it's not like I'm saying that the Lakers lost the trade. I think, I certainly think the Lakers, that was an amazing move, but if they would have gotten Mike Conley instead of D'Angelo Russell, I think that that would have been a a way better move for them. No, and I totally understand where you're coming from there, too. I think it's something that can go either way. On that note, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on, Jack. I guess now is the time where I ask, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Yeah, man, just just all the work that... um... That, that our staff and, and me are doing at, at Canis Hoopus. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a downtime in the calendar right now, but but these next couple of weeks our World Cup coverage will really be be cranking up here with with you know like like you mentioned having so many different players um, being active in, in their you know in their pursuits for their for their respective home countries um, and, and, and nationalities. So it's going to be a really fun August and September for us leading up to leading up to this uh, season in in October and then to the, the the work that our, our team is doing on the Lynx side of the house too with the Lynx you know, having the number two overall pick Diamond Miller another standout rookie and, and Dorka Uhas and and, and one of the league's WNBA MVP candidates and Nafisa Collier as the, as the Lynx are making a push here for, for the playoffs and will be will be fun to follow over the next couple months as um, as, as the Lynx try to, to try to you know shoot name as high as they can here in the playoffs. 
So yeah, make sure to go online, read Candace Hoopus for all of your Tim Wolves and Lynx coverage needs. If you're looking to find me, you can find me on Twitter at JakeMcNeil underscore or on threads at JakeMcNeil triple underscore. You can also find my writing in the Marshall Independent. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you liked it, give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, whatever you're listening on. And I will see you all again next week.